This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. My name is Scott Lewis. I'm the editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego and the host of Good Schools for All. If you're interested in sponsoring one of our podcasts and associating your company's name or message with the great shows we produce, please let us know. Contact Aaron Zlotnick at Aaron at voiceofsandiego.org. That's E-R-I-N at voiceofsandiego.org. This podcast is brought to you by Altus Schools. Altus Schools are free highly acclaimed public schools that specialize in delivering one-on-one instruction to students throughout your community. Students receive their own customized education plan to move them forward towards success. To learn more, visit altus4u.com. That's A-L-T-U-S, the number four, the letter U.com. Or call 858-678-2020. That's 858-678-2020. Altus Schools, a custom pathway to success for students. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. It should be an excellent school in every community. Enjoy the show. Hey, my name is Scott Lewis from Voice San Diego. I'm Laura Cohn. Hi, Laura. Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well. I am coaching T-ball this year. Oh, Co- excellent. Co-coach. It's one of the boringest sports for parents to watch. <laughs> it's it's not boring to coach. <laughs> that's I, I, that's probably true. I, I didn't prepare very well. So the first one I was ready. And I was the first, first what, practice. First game, first Sorry, practice. First practice. Okay. And they were, I was just, I was very enthusiastic and energetic and they, they picked up on that and everybody did everything I wanted. It was just, it was wonderful. I looked like a master of what I was doing. <laughs> and the second one I didn't prepare as well and it really showed. <laughs> okay. It, it was um, a little disorganized. There were a couple new kids that hadn't been in the last one that were just a, Hadn't figured out the glove on the hand uh-huh. thing, and uh, but it went it went better. Uh, it's a nice break from this fire hose of nastiness that is my social media feed right. and news sources this day. These Your days. social media feed and yeah, the reality Life. out there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a very weird time. It is. But uh, so, yes, we... I thought you were going to tell me that that experience uh, gave you new appreciation for the teaching profession. Oh, absolutely. I cannot imagine 24. I have like nine and right. I'm I'm trying to keep them organized. 24, five or six-year-olds, I can't even... Well, for six hours. Yeah. Your practice lasts, what, an hour? I don't know. They're saints. I have no idea how they can like manage that it just it blows my mind and the my you know like my son's teacher is amazing you know i just i was just looking my son uh he's reading and and he's like reading to us and he's reading his birthday cards and stuff and i'm like that's just that's just wonderful you know i give the school district a lot of trouble but it's it's you know it's nice to see that yeah it's magic isn't it it really is Yeah. yeah. yeah and now i can i think i can start to get him into like books and 
teach him stuff. And I, I don't know. It's cool. It's so here's, here's my thinking on, you know, why I, you know, there's, it's a concept I've been working on a lot called perennial dissatisfaction. <laughs> okay. Right? Lay it on so me. like, so, you know, how you see all these graphs all the time that humans are actually civilization and humankind are actually at a really good stage these days. Like, Things like poverty and violence and childhood deaths. And there's a lot of good trends, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, we're actually, there's far fewer wars than there has been in the past. There's a lot of, you know, the Western hemisphere, in fact, almost is totally peaceful. That's it's, right. I mean, as far as wars and such. Yeah. And so, you know, but humans are always thinking it's the worst. And, and I think it's built into us. It's like, it's part of our, DNA. It's part of our beings to be dissatisfied with how things are, which is why everything always gets, well, trends better. You know, we have these big periods of down, yeah. downtime, but the trend is always that things improve, right? Generally speaking, yeah. I mean, we might go through another hundred years of terrible darkness, <laughs> but eventually we'll work that out too. Oh, right. Hopefully not. <laughs> but what you're, what you're, it's interesting how your um, love for your child's teacher and your child's yeah. school is it, it, so there's an education microcosm of what you're describing. Right. When you take surveys of people, they tend to be very protective and appreciative of their local school and their yeah. local teacher and very critical of the education system in general. Right. <laughs> well, Part of what drives me on that is that is two things. One, you know, the the insecurity of knowing like what's the next, you know, will it always will that person always be there, you know, or mm -hmm. will that type of person always be there? And we've, you know, had flashes of the fact that they're not. And also um, the uh, the worry that there's other kids in in places that we know about that aren't experiencing such enrichment, you know, that aren't having good times and it might be because of their own backgrounds it might be because of the school it might be because of the teachers whatever that's what drives me what scares me okay i think those are both true and i have another theory that i've developed yeah. about this which is that so you and your wife have made choices about what school to send your right. kid to and it's protective to you to believe that you've made the best possible choice <laughs> you can for your child Validating, and yeah. so this is true for every parent they right. they they want to believe that they've made the right choice for their kid and but they'll allow that there are other parents who maybe have made mistakes in their choices for their kids so i think that's actually <laughs> well let me let me specify i actually think i'm you know there might have been better choices i i'm willing to acknowledge that and in fact what i get at is i actually think there's probably you know better sort of there, there could not necessarily better there could be things tried at our school that are being tried elsewhere or whatever that could be like very you know, I, as I've talked about before, the project-based learning and such is very seductive to me and I'm very interested in it and sad that it hasn't spread more. I also think, you know what I would be interested in is if there was just a elementary school that was just, that was like flipped everything and said, for six hours, we're going to do physical activities. And then for two hours, we're going to do like straight learning. You know, I think like there's so much of what I've learned mm -hmm. is that so much of these kids are just their it's their physical bodies they need to learn almost as much as their their minds you know what i mean it feels like there's so much that they have to learn to coordinate and they have to learn to sit and they have to learn to get their energy out and then there's all these nutrition issues seems like i would love to, to see if there's just like an outdoor school you know it's like and then they have to go in for an hour or two to learn you might want to look into waldorf 
Waldorf? Yeah. What's that? It's a it's an approach, an education approach that's pretty similar to yeah. what you're describing. And I'm sure, I mean, I believe it works fine for a lot of kids, but some kids, uh, well, some traditional schools have received Waldorf kids who just cannot read. And so, so Waldorf has a philosophy of not pushing the reading, oh. which might work fine for some kids and then just doesn't work for other kids. But yeah. Um, yeah. It's tough because I know how much pressure there is for them to cram all that information into the kids as soon as possible, get them to read, get them on pace to for math and, and science and other things. So I understand. Just, I can't believe you guys have gotten me into caring about all this education stuff so deeply. <laughs> is it us or is it the fact that you have a four and a six-year-old? Probably home? that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's do a couple of updates. We're just going to do an update show and then we have Mario Curran. Uh, from Voice of San Diego, come in to do a, a little update about a story he has out. And so, first off, an update to our Betsy DeVos show. Mm-hmm. That was one of our most popular episodes, by the way, on the podcast. Thank you all for downloading and reviewing the podcast. Betsy DeVos was, of course, approved by the Senate and is now the Secretary of Education. One vote. She was, there was uh, only one vote. Uh, difference there. The the two Republicans who voted against her uh, from Alaska and Maine um, didn't get another one to no. join them. And so she is now Secretary of Education. Thanks now, to Vice President Mike Pence. Right. So obviously the big news immediately was that she was barred from uh, a, going to a school, was visiting a school in D.C., right? Yeah, the new superintendent in Washington, D.C., Antoine Wilson, just moved from Oakland, California, actually, uh-huh. and invited her to visit one of the schools in D.C., and uh, protesters tried hard and almost kept her from actually getting in the doors. They found a side entrance for her. Right. All right. So here was uh, her reaction to that at her first major speech. Last Friday, a handful of protesters tried to block my entrance into Jefferson Middle School here in D.C., While I eventually made it in, and I had a very constructive conversation with Chancellor Wilson, many D.C. administrative leaders, some terrific teachers, and Principal Doman, the protesters' behavior, I think, is a reflection on the way some seek to treat our education system today, by keeping kids in and new thinking out. Friday's incident demonstrates just how hostile some people are to change and to new ideas. Without realizing it, we too can fall victim to this trap of seeing our work in education as an us-versus-them approach. I know this to be true throughout the reform community, where there are those who claim to be champions of education, but they really only support their respective sectors. These silos, I think, are unnecessary and unproductive in our common goal to serve all students. So, what is she saying? (laughs) I wasn't entirely sure. I mean, one thing she's saying is that she represents new thinking. Yes. And that what was inside the building or what the people protesting outside were supposedly protecting is old thinking. Old thinking. So uh, that that was interesting that that's her conceptualization is that she represents revolution or or She also tried to throw a bone to the other side saying like, it happens on our side too. People don't think about, um, you know, diverse perspectives. But I think it was... It's it's hard to see her not yeah holding herself like what did you call it when I looked at uh, our school self referential <laughs> can't remember <laughs> yeah well so yeah, yeah. obviously so now this was interesting because San Diego Unified now um, Diane Ravitch who's Diane Ravitch can you explain who she is 
Diane Ravitch is a longtime um, researcher in the education field, and she used to be a really strong advocate for standards and accountability, was really a central thinker in the standards and accountability movement in the 90s or so. And then she switched and she, um, you know, in her telling, she recognized the error of her ways and now rails, uh, advocates strongly um, against testing and accountability and for local autonomy and um, innovation. So she had, she's uh, pretty close with Cindy Martin, who's the superintendent of schools in San Diego Unified. And she wrote a thing, I think it was it was published in the Washington Post, or at least excerpted, excerpted, and she said, you know, I have mixed feelings about these protesters barring Betsy DeVos from the school. I obviously understand them, but you know what, we really need them to go to these, we need, really need her to go to schools like in San Diego, where Cindy Martin has all these successes and graduation rates and teaching English language learners. And so that stuck in Cindy Martin and San Diego officials' heads, and they uh, got the idea, Richard Barrero, a trustee, and John Lee Evans, another trustee on the five-member Board of Education of San Diego Unified, got the idea to invite Secretary DeVos to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And they put on their um, agenda a resolution that would invite her. It would say, the recent confirmation of the U.S. Secretary of Education has been highly controversial and brings into question the current administration's commitment to public education and the board believes that the U.S. Secretary of Education can learn and see firsthand what's been accomplished in public schools, including an increased graduation rate, we're going to talk about that in a minute, with higher standards for all students in San Diego Unified. And so they, they were going to put this, they, they had to notice it on their agenda. And then by the next Tuesday, they were going to approve the resolution to invite her. Mm-hmm. No, no word on whether she would accept that or not. Sure. I heard later she said she would not have. But... Um, then the teachers union found out, San Diego Education Association, and they were not excited about that. By the way, I support that. I, I support the philosophy behind that. Arnie Duncan, the former secretary of education, also put out a tweet saying, you know, if we want her to learn more and become a support for all public schools, then we need to let her in and, and have, um, you know, good dialogue with her and show her what good public education looks like. So I, I completely agree with the sentiment behind that resolution in that invitation yeah i don't i don't get ignorance it doesn't seem like is ever an answer for anything you know whether it's birth control or whether it's letting her into a school like yeah you know i don't you can protest her i totally respect that yeah but i think uh you know trying to keep her ignorant about things doesn't help doesn't all right so the teachers union san diego education association found out about this invitation and said As much as SDEA members would like to believe that Betsy DeVos would be genuinely moved by visiting San Diego education or San Diego schools and seeing quality education firsthand, and that such a visit would reveal how wrong and destructive her well-funded efforts to destroy public education have been, her history and recent confirmation hearing testimonies say otherwise. And so they just basically said, they never exactly say what the connection is, but why she shouldn't be invited. They're just, they were just very hostile to uh, saying it's better spent the time, you know, working on local education, so don't invite her. Suddenly, Richard Barrera, whose idea it was, put out a statement saying, well, given, <laughs> given the polarizing nature of the DeVos nomination and confirmation vote, it is clear this would be the wrong time to engage the secretary in dialogue. 
Now is the time for those of us who believe in public education to stand together and confront the threat clearly posed by the DeVos ideology. Therefore, I have decided to withdraw my co-sponsorship of this resolution, which effectively kills the measure. I apologize to all those who we excluded from the conversation. What a mess. (laughs) Too raw. It's just too, I mean, yeah, it's just too raw right now. I, I get it. You do? Yeah. Too soon. They, you know, we we were all the the country was just all hot about yeah. whether she should be approved or not, and uh, even though the, you know the impulse was in the right place, the timing was You're just right. wrong. All right, so we also are starting to understand a little bit more though about what DeVos is trying to achieve, yeah, or what she might try to achieve, and so let's listen to another mm, clip that might help us understand some of her views about vouchers in private schools. This is again from her, her very first speech last week. Which the speech was to? The Magnet School Association, which are, Magnet Schools are regular public schools that receive, uh, sorry, federal funding, and they um, they have to be schools of choice within regular school districts. So they're not charters. No. They're regular schools. It's, um, uh, there's they were born out of the anti-segregation effort, right? Absolutely. They, they were trying to integrate schools, so they put good, attractive focused schools of a certain type in different neighborhoods to lure mm-hmm. um, people who uh, out of their neighborhoods to go and, and integrate a little bit more. In right? fact, San Diego Unified just got a very large um, magnet grant to develop a STEM magnet. In, really? Um, in the, yeah, I, I can't remember what area. I think it was Linda Vista possibly. All right. All right. So here's her speaking, Betsy DeVos, Secretary of Education, speaking to the Magnet School Association. I don't think we should be as focused necessarily on um, uh, on funding school buildings as much as we should be having conversation around funding students. And um, if students are funded at the appropriate levels and, and, and equally, and they're making choices to go to schools like magnet schools, um, you all are doing a tremendous job. You will have, again, the focus around funding students um, is, I, I think, the conversation that we need to be having more broadly. So that's code. All right. <laughs> what is it code for? That's code for private school choice. All right. Private school choice. Now, I haven't, we've heard vouchers. Vouchers is the idea that you get a card in the mail that says, cash this in for $5,000 of private school education at your local private school, right? Right. What's private school choice? So private school choice is a, a more general um, category or term that includes vouchers, but it includes a couple of other mechanisms that states have developed because vouchers, it turns out, are not constitutional in several states. And so um, clever policy wonks got to work and came up with a couple of other ways to use state funding to support families' choices to attend private schools. So when DeVos says money should follow the student, in her vision, in her worldview, instead of states funding out to school districts, they would fund out to students, and then students would have lots of options, including private options, public options, public magnet, public charter. Um, And even in some of these um, approaches, they could spend the money on tutoring, um, or other education-related expenses. Now, how's that different from a voucher? 
So the voucher, so in so in regular public education, the money flows to the school districts. In a voucher, the money flows to the private school that the student chooses. It's, you don't actually get a little piece of paper that you know is counts as cash. It's just you alert the state that you've chosen. This oh, they become they, like a like a a vendor in the portfolio of yeah of school options. Yeah, so state money flows to school, but there uh so there are a couple of other options that um that Betsy DeVos is an advocate of that um, enable states to pay for private education. So one of them is tuition tax credits. Mm -hmm. And this is a scheme, an approach, <laughs> trying to be neutral. This is scheme doesn't have to be pejorative. Okay, all right, yeah. all right. Um, where either um, individual um, state taxpayers or businesses who are paying taxes to the state can instead pay into these um, shell organizations um, that uh, that so the, and the money that they give to those organizations then go to the private schools or and the person who donates to that organization gets either a 100% or a 50% or some proportion um, credit on their state tax bill so mm. basically it's sort of launders your state tax money you can elect instead of sending it to the state to send it to this organization and then that that money goes to the private school that you won't send your kid to wow or for corporations they can make donations to those shell organizations that can be then used for scholarships for kids whose families don't pay enough state taxes to use this mechanism they can get scholarships to those private schools okay but to be clear that's still a state decision Absolutely. So you yeah. mentioned that, and it's there. The state is forsaking revenue, right? Um, and just letting the revenue get diverted into private schools directly. Direct, wow. Well, indirectly through these shell organizations. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now you said it had some traction in in Nevada, something like this. So Nevada um, had passed a law um, just last year that would have made those. Uh, no, actually, that's education savings accounts. I was talking okay. about Nevada. Oh, right. Um, yeah, so education savings accounts are this other idea that um, has started to get used where the state, if you vouch to the state that you're not sending your child to um, a public school, then they'll deposit the amount or something close to the amount they would have spent um, on your public school education into a private account that you can access to pay for education-related expenses, including private school, also for tutoring or for therapy or for SAT prep. And then they all actually, um, if you don't spend it all down, usually they roll over into college savings accounts. Mm. Okay. But just to be clear, it's up to the states. The states would control this. It's just that Betsy DeVos and the Secretary of Education and the Education Department might incentivize it. Correct. So yeah, Betsy uh, DeVos has been really you know clear in her understanding that these are choices and policies that states have to make. And they're not that widespread right now. Um, so, for example, vouchers, um, the advocates for vouchers tout that there are 14 states that have vouchers. But nine of those, the vouchers are only available to kids who have special education qualification. There are only five. You're stealing the thunder of your number of the week. Oh, I am, aren't I? <laughs> That's all right. Number of the week. <laughs> the number of the week. The number of the week is five. Um, because it's really only five states that... Um, that provide vouchers that can be used for, and usually it's just low-income kids. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is that there is some experimentation nationally with these three different mechanisms of private school choice. 
Um, there's some enthusiasm in states that have Republican-controlled legislatures and um, governors to expand those options, and the federal government through the Department of Education can incentivize those by doing research that um, that spreads the word about how they're possible, about by maybe providing grants that um, help them to do planning towards those things. There, are, you know, any number of mechanisms they can use, but they're all indirect. It's really relying on states. Now, isn't it? Wasn't there a story that just came out that said uh, I was just looking for it that said that if you that vouchers actually have this effect on the big question or the big constitutional question with vouchers is you're funding religious organizations, right? That uh, is, yeah. And wasn't there a study that just came out that said often those those religious schools become more secular when this happens? Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah. By the way, that's the federal constitutional question. There are right. separate state constitutional questions. Oh, okay. But yeah, the big federal constitutional question is whether. Um, public money can be spent for religious purposes. I hadn't heard that. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they, in fact, I could imagine state-sponsored schools basically disavowing their religion, the religious aspects of their curriculum still being sponsored by the religion, the religious entity, but not teaching religion anymore in order to access the the vouchers. Yeah. And become more attractive also to parents. Sure. Okay. Well, there was one other point we wanted to go over. So that school that she visited in DC, right? Yes. Was uh, actually, she finally got in and talked to them. And, and so there was, she said a couple of things we wanted to react to. The first was just, just came out. It's just, it just said that uh, somebody asked her about the protests and she said, look, I don't think these have been spontaneous, genuine protests. We've seen enough written that they want to come make my life a living hell. They seem to be sponsored and carefully planned. They also don't know what stock I come from. I will not be deterred from my mission of helping kids in this country. Now, this is this is an odd talking point. I just wanted to get out real quick. Like the, I don't know that there's anything nefarious about coordinating a protest, right? Right. And obviously, there are people who are whose job it is, community organizer or activists or whatever, to and probably fits organizing protests, you know, just like it might be, I don't, I, I don't think that just, um, you know, that discredits whatever message they have. I think more important is what they say or what they don't say that matters in that. I don't know that you can just write it off as being organized. That actually makes them sound pretty, <laughs> pretty well organized, right? Right. Yeah. All right. But she did so say- So if you're paid for working for an organization that organizes a protest- that seems fine to me. If you're a protest carrying protester carrying a sign and someone's put 20 bucks in your pocket in order to march down there and carry that sign, yeah. That that's that would be troubling to me, but I don't there's zero evidence of that happening. Well, now it happens sometimes it's in the left. There are, you know, protests that hang out in front of buildings uh, that are having labor troubles for mm-hmm. a long time and the people out there are, you know, being paid some sort of daily stipend or something like that. That happens from time to time. Or, you know, there's strike strikers sometimes get into situations like that. But, but yeah, I don't think that thousands of people, you know, at the women's March or the one this weekend or whatever are being paid anything They're there. So don't just write that stuff off, but yeah, I mean, good point. You're, you're going to stick up for it, but there was something else she said that really caught, uh, especially your, um, interest. And let's just talk about what she said. So she said, She's actually starts speaking about how supportive she is of great teachers. Uh, we have to support great teachers. They just have to be freed up to do what they do best. A lot of things that we hear a lot. I think in many cases they are limited by the top-down one-size-fits-all approach. You know, this is the kind of rhetoric that both sides always agree to, right? <laughs> like the top-down sure. stuff. Yeah. But then she said this, and you wanted to talk about this, so let me set it up. 
I visited a school on Friday. This is the one that she had been initially barred from and met with some wonderful, genuine, sincere teachers who pour their heart and soul into the classrooms and their students. And our conversation was not long enough to draw out of them what is limiting them from being even more successful, wait, being even more success from what they are currently. But I can tell the attitude is more of a receive mode. They're waiting to be told what they have to do. And that's not going to bring success to an individual child. You have to have teachers who are empowered to facilitate great teaching. Now, a lot Mm. of people took that Mm. as a, Mm. yeah, you pulled that from the New York (laughs) Times. Some people took took that as an insult. What was your reaction? Yeah, she made this comment to a conservative news outlet called Town Hall. New York Times um, pointed to it, but it's actually been all over social media. So... She finally makes it into this school. Go, it's it's a it's considered a a model school. It's a turnaround of a middle school, and the teachers are working incredibly hard, and they've seen a lot of success with students um, in a school where there hadn't been success previously. And so Betsy DeVos leaves, goes you know home, and then makes these comments, um, basically disparaging them, saying that they're not they're just wait in receive mode, waiting for people to tell them what to do. The school went crazy and did a tweet storm in response talking about the only receiving we're doing is receiving students at the second grade level and taking them up to the eighth grade level. Um, The former superintendent, Kaya Henderson of D.C. Public Schools, really called her out on it and said it was unprofessional and inappropriate. Um, And I think appropriately, if she wants to visit more schools and wants to be appreciated by teachers and wants the U.S. education community to feel like she is their leader and champion she can't go visit schools and then leave uh and two days later disparage their efforts especially if she's really excited about them <laughs> if, she, <laughs> if she genuinely thinks they're wonderful sincere genuine teachers that's that's seems like a but statement uh, a right? big big but yeah um well i think that's a that's going to be an interesting point it does seem like if you started a job like that it, it might be wise to, no matter your agenda, to at least over time, you know, indicate that there's a listening period, a listening tour. Um, otherwise, you're going to cause more problems than you might need to get your agenda in place. Right? Yeah. And she, her credibility in visiting schools is not high anyway. People have a perception of her as not, not being um, experienced enough to walk into classrooms and form an accurate judgment of the quality of instruction and teaching and learning that's happening in that classroom. So for her to reveal that she did form a judgment and that it was a negative judgment of those teachers after just a little walkthrough is uh, astounding. What do you think, as we finish this out, what do you think people should look for as far as, you know, moves she might make right away? What would you like sort of watch for? What kind of red flags? What kind of interesting things might she do? Yeah, I mean, she is forecasting, as as we've already discussed, um, being looking for ways to facilitate more school choice to um, enable localities, not just states. Um, I've saw, I've seen some content from her on that, enabling localities to promote school choice. Um, so she'll she'll. I mean, I, I think she's going to wrestle whatever funding and bully pull that she's got to just push choice, choice, choice. And watch for that uh, tax credit plan also to come up. It should be uh, um, probably making its way to the president's desk at some point soon. Yep. We shall see. All right. We shall see. All right. Well, we have a special guest this week. We're going to bring in um, Voice of San Diego investigative reporter Mario Curran and talk about his latest story, which kind of has to do with something we were just talking about. 
One of the reasons that the San Diego Unified School District wanted to invite Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos to San Diego was because of their, what they called, increasing graduation rates with a higher standard. It's something we've talked about a lot and uh, reported on a lot at Voice San Diego. The school district got 92% of its 2016 graduates or graduating class to get through the finish line. And that was much higher than some academics who had been studying the progress of that class thought it would be. And um, it was uh, it was seen as quite an accomplishment. Now, we've tried to understand where that 92% came from because, again, it was out of step uh, with uh, what some academics had predicted. And it was, uh, it was, just, it was just interesting. It, was, it seemed to really stand out. And, of course, they've been very, 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 very proud of it. So part of what we found is that a lot of students left the district. Uh, a lot of students um, went to charter schools. And um, and a lot of students within the San Diego Unified School District traditional track also utilized uh, graduation recovery or online recovery, credit recovery classes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so joining us right now is Mario Coran, investigative reporter of Voice San Diego. Hello, Mario. Hi. All right. So you have a new chapter in that discussion of the graduation rates, the 92%. Um, so what did you find? So this remember, the other part about this is that this was the first graduating class, as they point out, with increased standards. So they were the first class with the A through G standards, meaning that every student to graduate had to go through the same curriculum that would be needed to qualify for a state university, uh, California State University or University of California. So what did you find out in this latest sort of update on this on this quest you've been on? Yeah, so uh, that was a good setup. Uh, so if we go back to May 2016, right, the district came out with a big announcement and they were very happy to have this projected graduation rate be an all-time high, 92%. Uh, shortly thereafter, I mean, we embarked on this quest to just figure out how that happened. I mean, as you pointed out, some of the research that came up before that indicated that it was going to drop. So we were just trying to figure out where exactly the kids went. Um, we know that a couple of things happened, right? They introduced online credit recovery courses for students in the district. Uh, you know, we can't say with, for, for certainty that those were easy credits, but 92% of them passed. So virtually every student who took, almost every student who took those classes were able to pass them. And they were able to do some other things. Um, not all of it, you know, uh, n- you know, none of it nefarious, all of it within the rules. Um, but we find another piece. Uh, so let's remember, too, that not every kid who starts with their class when they're in the ninth grade finishes with their class. Mm -hmm. So we had a good chunk of kids. In fact, 35% of the kids in San Diego Unified who started as freshmen left by the time they were seniors. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what we're finding now is that many of those kids left. Uh, We don't know exactly how many, but we're getting a picture, a picture starting to emerge that some of those kids went to uh, virtually online recovery credit high schools uh, so they're very similar to the online credit credit recovery programs that the district offers, um, but these are their own charter schools. But what's interesting that happens is that if a kid is le- going up to uh, if they're coming up to graduation time and they're not uh, on track to graduate, we see a number of those same kids going to these 
leaving the San Diego Unified Schools and going to these uh, uh, credit recovery high schools where they in turn graduate. And that, that does two important things. One is it gets it off, it gets those students off the San Diego Unified's graduation rolls. So they don't count anymore. They're vir- virtually excluded when they go to, to the charter school. And, you know, we, we don't know if the exact, uh, in fact, they, they don't have the same standards. Charter schools don't, are, we don't know if they're equally rigorous as, as what San Diego Unifieds require, and we just don't know how they stack up apples to apples. Right. And so just to be clear, to get that 92%, a bunch of kids, and we don't know exactly how many, we're nailing it down, hundreds of kids um, went from, in their junior or senior year, went from San Diego's traditional track into these online recovery charter schools, and and they were not at that point when they left, on track to graduate. That's what you established, right? Right, right. So right now we have 900 kids who left the, 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 uh, uh, the class of 2016 and went to a credit recovery high school. And we don't have, we don't have data. A charter for- credit recovery high school. Yes. So out of the district, so therefore out of the district's responsibility for their graduation. Right, exactly. And we, we don't have, I mean, this could be a larger, this is just really a window into five schools. We only have data from five charter schools. Um, uh, correction, correction, we have six charter schools. But uh, there are uh, many more charter schools in the district in, in this this kind of thing could have been happening on a bigger scale where kids leading up to uh, graduation time are fearful that they're not going to graduate and they either get it sort of informally counseled by the district to leave a district school and go to a credit recovery charter school or they just sort of leave on their own because they're not going to graduate anyways. Mm. And, and so here we have a situation where uh, the charter schools are actually helping San Diego Unified maintain that high graduation rate. Uh, and graduation rates from those um, those types of online charter schools are really poor. And those types of charter schools explain that by saying, well, we're accepting kids who might otherwise just totally drop out. So we're giving them an option. And sure, not too many of them. I, I'm not sure what the graduation rates are from, uh, from those, but I have something like 39% in my brain for one local um, online charter school. Um, but still, that's 39%, they say, who would otherwise not have an option. But one thing that's interesting in this mix is um, the data that um, I shared in a prior podcast that it happens that San Diego County has a really high number um, of these online charter schools. So our local kids have more of these options. There are more online charters marketing to them and marketing to schools to you know to let them know that kids have these as an option than other counties in California. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it brings up uh, uh, another interesting sort of facet of this conversation that San Diego Unified, among other school, local school districts, have taken steps to close down those online uh, uh, online charter schools uh, for a number, number of reasons. But they're, they're essentially taking steps to close down the schools that are, in, interestingly, helping them maintain their, their graduation rate. And at the same time, the regular school district is trying to increase its own participation in those online credit recovery course systems, right? And they're actually building facilities that they're highlighting right now, innovation centers, exactly. where that can happen. Right? right. I mean, they're spending they're spending money to basically uh, build these innovation centers where kids that have the capacity to house these kids when they're taking online classes. So, um, 
this is just a it, it, it's a ambiguous uh uh, issue when we're talking about graduation rates, right? And we think that graduation r- rates mean this this specific thing, but we're finding that it's much more complicated than they we... get. They get so mad at us when we talk about that. When we talk about what was there, eleven thousand or so students who started for the class of twenty sixteen who started in their freshman year, and then how many ended up graduating? Like sixty seven hundred or something. Uh, it was about sixty four hundred. Now thousands of them had already been in charter schools. And so the district says you can't count those; those aren't. But but they are in the school district. The school district still oversees those charter schools. But fine, count those out. And then there's a bunch that leave the district altogether. Right. And then there's a bunch that leave the traditional track of public schools of, of the San Diego Unified, and then go to this sort of thing within the San Diego Unified. And and all of that filtering has to happen before they even calculate the ninety two percent cohort right right yeah I, I think what I mean just to take a step back and, and if if any of this has been sort of confusing uh, it's been confusing for me too in trying to figure it out but I think the one point that we can take away is we know that these online charter schools and perhaps charter schools in general are acting as a safety valve really for the kids who for many kids who are least likely to graduate how big that safety valve is that kind of escape hatch we're still in the process of of checking out, but I mean, this thing is happening, and it's a it's a very interesting phenomenon that likely uh, applies to many more districts than San Diego Unified. All right, well, thank you. That's good work. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's another good schools for all. If you have any thoughts or questions, you can always call us at six one nine three five four ten eighty five. That's six one nine three five four ten eighty five, and leave your name and where you're come, calling from and any questions or thoughts you have. And let us know for sure if you don't want your voice to be played. Laura, thanks for uh, good information as always. You're pretty smart on these things. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Do you like doing it? I do like it. Like talking about education? A little bit. <laughs> kind of <laughs> built, built a career around it. <laughs> cool. All right. Stay tuned for the next Good Schools for All.